Happy Thanksgiving week. That's right. Happy Thanksgiving week. Due to the uh, commercialization of retail capitalism, our holiday has been hijacked. It was a time where everyone waited until Friday to go shopping, and um, that doesn't happen anymore, right? It started, wasn't it like Friday morning at one point, right? Early Friday morning, so you'd go out and, well actually it was Friday night, then it went to Friday midnight eventually, and then that wasn't good enough, so it had to be Thursday night, right, after everyone ate, and 8 o'clock wasn't good enough, so then they had to make it 6 p.m. Now this year, there are some stores that are opening as early as 6 a.m. on Thursday morning. Grandma, you are in the kitchen alone this year. Everyone is going out and they are leaving you to make the pumpkin pie and apple pie all by yourself. Arroz con gandules, somebody. Black Friday is obsolete. But you know what? It's not about shopping. It's about gathering. It's about gathering with family. It's about gathering with friends. But it's also about gathering thankfulness and gratitude for all the things that God has done in our life. And you know, thankfulness and gratitude, it's not just the basis of a U.S. holiday. It's not just reserved for the third Thursday of every November. But it's really an attitude that can change our outlook on life with a choice that we choose to make every single day. And you know, when I think about thankfulness and when I think about gratitude, I, I think about a story that's in Acts chapter uh, 16. In Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 24, we're not going to turn there, but I'm just going to give you some context. There's uh, someone by the name of the Apostle Paul. Huh? How many of you have heard the, the name of the Apostle Paul? Uh, he was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Christian missionary that ever lived. And this particular portion of Scripture, he's on his second missionary trip to a place called Philippi. It's located on the east region of Macedonia. But his days were cut short because he encountered a situation with the city authorities. See, what was happening was when they got there, him and his friend Silas... Um, They were ministering and they were going around and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. But there was this slave girl, this demon-possessed slave girl. And and she was following them and and she was causing a ruckus. And Paul finally got annoyed. I guess the anointing in this moment might have left him to get him annoyed. But then the anointing jumped right back in him because he looked at her and he cast the demon out in the name of Jesus. And in that moment, the demon left the little girl, the slave girl. But there was a problem. Since she was a slave girl, that means she had masters, right? Well, her masters were local businessmen. Local entrepreneurs, if you would. They were running a fortune-telling business with the pagans of Philippi. And they used this little girl's ability to fortune-tell. Now that the demon was cast out, she couldn't even fortune-tell anymore. So now that Paul put these businessmen out of business... It didn't sit well with them. So what did he do? He reported Paul and Silas to the city's officials on the grounds of not Jesus Christ, but that they were advocating, because remember now, they're in a Roman colony. They were advocating 
an agenda that was unlawful for Romans to practice. So the city's officials, they didn't like that at all. So because of that, Paul and Silas were sentenced to severe beating and getting put into an inner prison. The inner prison was a dungeon environment. And their feet, the Bible says, was placed in stocks. I don't know what stocks are, so I had to look it up. And it's as if they were kind of laying down. And it's like these wooden contraptions that kept their feet in place. So let's kind of look at this for a moment. They just got beaten almost to death. They're put into a dungeon. See, the Philippi prison, specifically the inner prison, it was pitch black. No windows. It was really tight. So it was cramped. They didn't have sinks and toilets. So it was extremely unsanitary. It stunk. It was really hot in the summer and it was really cold in the winter. And I would imagine that they weren't given blankets and pillows to stay warm. And they didn't have a doctor that went around and checked on them. Sounds pretty rough. And and we hear this story and you're probably thinking to yourself, man, that sounds like a miserable day. That sounds like a horrible day. Here Paul is, he gets a vision from this Macedonian man to go into this region. He believes it's from God, he believes it's his will, and then he experiences this. That's a horrible day. And I have to be honest, earlier this week I was right at this point of my sermon preparation, and it was a day where I worked a little bit later than I normally do. I missed dinner, so I, on my way home I went to go pick something up. I wanted to get something light, and um, so I decided to go to the Publix Deli. I figured if I go to the Publix Deli, it'll be in and out, right? Nope. If you work at the Publix Deli, man, thank you so much for your service to us. I really do appreciate when I was in New York, man, I don't know what they put in the bread, but I missed the Publix Deli. Anyway, so I get to the deli, and no surprise, there was a line. And um, you had one person working on all the online orders and one person that was working on the people that were walking in. So I was reminded of, dude, you're, you're, you just finished preparing about Paul and Cyrus. You're going to complain about waiting in line? So I says, all right, that's cool. I'm going to allow patience to have its perfect work in my life, and I'm not going to get bent out of shape. And I finally get my sandwich, and I'm going to go check out, and there's three lines that are open. The far right, there's a lane. The far left, there's a lane. And then there's this lane in the middle that was 10 items or less. And every line was packed. I forgot about Paul and Cyrus, and I was complaining again, and I said, this is crazy. I'm spending all day, Lord, doing your work, ministering to your people, and I just can't get a simple turkey on a spinach wrap home so I can eat because I'm hungry. What a miserable night. And I know that's a silly example, and some of us probably have different variations of what that looks like in our life. But man, when when you look at what Paul and Cyrus is going through that day. It's amazing because in Acts chapter 16, 25, it says around midnight, around midnight, Paul and Cyrus, they were praying and singing hymns to God. Around midnight. They were under the worst 
circumstances they probably ever faced in their life. How do you even do that? How do you even give God thanks and praise when you're going through a situation like that? Who has that capacity? How do we even learn how to do something like that? Well, the title of my message today is An Attitude of Gratitude. An Attitude of Gratitude. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you and we honor you. We thank you, Father, for the stories, for the, for the, for the revelation that you have for us. Say the word that you have for us today. Holy Spirit, thank you so much that people are here to hear from you, not from me. They are here to hear from you. So the things that you have led me to prepare, I pray that you bring back to my supernatural recall. The things that I haven't prepared that you desire to share, I pray that you will speak them. Give me words to speak what needs to be spoken. Give us ears to hear what needs to be heard. Give us eyes to see what needs to be seen. Holy Spirit, have your way. I'm just believing that chains are breaking off people's lives today in the name of Jesus. I believe that there's going to be a sound of praise that's going to come through circumstances in Jesus' name. I believe even those that are going to witness our praise because we have an attitude of gratitude are going to be set free. I believe that foundations of prisons are going to be shaken today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Paul and Cyrus, they are great examples for us because in that moment, it was a choice that they made. It was a choice. And I think gratitude is a choice. Gratitude is a choice. See, because when we're in difficult circumstances, it's real easy to have the tendency of self-pity. It's real easy to do that. And Paul and Cyrus were probably in great pain. I imagine that no one came and brought them Tylenol. No one brought them ibuprofen. No one brought them an ice pack. I'm sure there was no uh, prison doctor that did a concussion protocol on them and kept them on the sideline. That didn't happen. I'm sure that their wounds that were ripped open were still gushing, were still bleeding. I'm sure that they had broken bones. I'm sure that maybe a shoulder must have been dislocated. And I can't even imagine how many blows to the head they must have taken. See, we don't stop sometimes to really think about that part of scriptures when we're reading a story. Sometimes we just read a story and we see that they got beat that they, they got beat up and around midnight they started praising God. But think about that dungeon environment. Pitch black, hurting, painful. And they chose to praise. And they had an attitude of gratitude. And I think having an attitude of gratitude is very counterintuitive, counterintuitive. And that's what makes it a choice. That's what indicates that it's a choice. It's always a choice. And like anything else, we need to have an attitude of gratitude that can be developed over time. It can be developed by practice. What an amazing worship experience we just had. And Pastor Mark was on the piano and, and he was playing. I'm sure he didn't just wake up one day and play the piano. He had a practice, and he had a study. When you go take your vehicle to a mechanic, they didn't just one day wake up and have all the information to become a mechanic. They had a practice, and they had a study. 
Same thing goes for a doctor or a lawyer or anyone else of that nature. You've got to practice. And it's no different with gratitude. It's no exception. You know, and I found myself preaching to myself this week, as I normally do. Man, and as I'm looking at this story and I'm seeing and God's kind of unpacking it for me and, and I'm meditating on this, and I had to stop right here. At this particular point, I had to just stop. And I had to say, Lord, forgive me. Because I started identifying seeds of ungratitude in my heart. I identified that there were seeds of whining and complaining over the big things and over the little things. And I had to just say, you know what? Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, for complaining. And I had to ask him for grace. Because it takes grace to have a thankful heart. So let's go ahead and look at this story. And I believe that God wants to show us three specific things that comes out of this story. So if you have your Bibles, open, it, open them up to Acts chapter 16. If you have a device, go ahead and turn it to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at specifically at verses 25 and verse 26. If, if you don't have a Bible, um, go ahead and, and you'll see that the scriptures are up on the screen. But it says this in the New Living Translation, around midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a great, massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Man, that's amazing. I mean, how does that even happen? We see here that in spite of what was going on, Paul and Cyrus continued to show appreciation and thankfulness to God. Not because of what they were experiencing, but because of who he is and what he has done. The other prisoners were listening to how Paul and Silas responded to the circumstances. I'm sure by now, by this point of the story, word got around who Paul and Cyrus were. People knew their agenda, people knew they were Christians. People knew what they believed. And in this moment, they were watching. How are they going to respond under these circumstances? And we see that God's response to Paul and Silas's gratitude not only knocked their doors wide open, but also broke the chains of every other prisoner. So the first point, and if you're going to follow along with the sermon notes, you're going to see that the first point is this. That gratitude requires thought management. Gratitude requires thought management. We see in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, it says to fix your thoughts on what is pure. Fix your thoughts on what is honorable. Fix your thoughts on what is right. Fix your thoughts on what is true and pure. And, and fix your thoughts on what is lovely. Fix your thoughts on what is admirable. Think about these things that are excellent. Think about what is worthy of praise. And it takes thought management. The truth is we're living in times where there's a lot to fuss about. We're living in times where our attention is distracted. We have people going through home foreclosures, filing bankruptcy, losing jobs. We, have in, we, we see that there's international Um, events and terrorism. Even here in the states, local, stateside crisis and tragedies. 
And there are a lot of things that I find that people are really dealing with right now. Things like fear, like grief, uncertainty, and depression. And it's kind of like there's this emotional low that's in our nation or even in the world today. And I think it comes from a steady diet of the news. It does. Whether it's on TV, whether it's through your smartphone, whether it's through social media, whether it's through if anyone still reads the newspaper. Huh? And it's like we, we get all this information and the truth is if we fix our thoughts and our minds and our emotions and our hearts on all the negative things, then our hearts are prone to get into those areas of fear, to get into those areas of, of uncertainty and worry. But man, if there's not a balance to what's out there and what's being reported, in fact, if there's not a counterattack, if there's not a greater measure of the word of God and his promises, then that's where we're going to stay. And we won't obtain this, this place of gratitude in our lives. We need to counterattack the lies. We need to counterattack all the bad news with the truth of God. We need to see that he's still sovereign. We need to see that Jesus is still coming back. We need to see that the word is alive. We need to see that people still need healing. We need to see that there is a purpose in your life. When we're experiencing things, church, somebody needs to hear this this morning. You have a God-given purpose. You have a purpose. God has placed you at your job for a purpose. Even when you're upset with your co-workers, even if you're upset with your, your supervisors, even when you're upset with your clients or the customers, God has placed you where he's placed you for a purpose. God has placed you in your family for a purpose. God has placed you in this nation for a purpose. God has placed you in this community for a purpose. And you know what? God has placed you in Grace Chapel for a purpose. Because he has given all of us gifts. He's given us all of us talents. And there is a purpose that he has for us. So I'm here to speak to somebody today that they need to have a greater diet of who God is in their life. They need to have a greater diet of what God has for their family, what God says about their finances, what he says about your future. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. Man, it teaches us how we are to bring every thought into captivity. Every single thought. Even the good ones as well as the bad ones. Hear me now. We need to take even the good ones because what happens is even when there's good things going on in our life, sometimes we fail to direct that praise back to God and say, God, thank you for allowing me to have air to breathe and food to eat and clothes to wear and giving me the ability to go to work. We get caught up in, man, I just locked into another contract. I'm good at this stuff. And what happens is we still lose an attitude of gratitude even in the good things. And I just finished talking about all the bad things. So that's why it says bringing every thought into captivity. To do what? To the obedience of Christ. To the obedience of Christ. So that we can remain humble before him. And all that requires thought management. Thought management. We need to monitor what we're taking in. When we have a greater level of God's word in our life, what happens is we begin to become transformed. And we need to continually recalibrate our mind and our hearts. 
Romans 12, 2 talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It isn't that you get saved, you read your Bible, and you just become transformed and that's it. No, that is a continual act that we are renewing our minds every day, every week. We're, we're just renewing, you know, regardless of what we're facing, we're renewing. And in that process of transformation, in that process of continuing to renew our minds, it takes over, it takes place over the course of time. week after week, it eventually becomes who you are, part of your thinking. An attitude of gratitude requires thought management. The second thing we're going to look at is that gratitude is like a bright light. It's like a bright light. Philippians 2, 14 and 15, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. See, the consequences of having an ungrateful heart doesn't just affect us. It affects everyone around us as well. Think about it. I don't know about you, but I really don't like it when I'm around someone that's complaining. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't sound good. And all I want to do is just get away from that person. In fact, I don't recall ever speaking to someone and say, hey, man, how was your time with so-and-so? Oh, it was great, man. We sat. We spoke for two hours. I can't even wait till I see them again. Really, tell me about it. Well, man, they, all they did was whine and all they did was complain. And they were telling me how miserable everything was. It was awesome. Who says that, Ian? No one says that. And it doesn't just affect us, but it affects the people around us. Anne doesn't complain. I just happen to see her in that moment. The thing is this, though. When we complain and when we whine, I think we forget what we look like. I think we forget what we sound like. I think we forget how we come across to others. And I, and, and I think that we forget that in that moment we're not being the bright light of Jesus Christ that we're called to be because when we complain, I mean, it's justified because we know why we're complaining. Huh? But we forget how things come across. Being a bright light, man, being a bright light. You know, recently, not recently, a few months ago when uh, Hurricane uh, Irma came through, um, we have a rapid response team that was ready locked and loaded, ready to go. And the rapid response team here at Grace Chapel, they help widows, single parents, disabled veterans to board up their homes, putting up shutters and putting up boards. Well, I went out with a gentleman here in this church, and uh, his name will remain nameless. Um, in, in a moment, you'll understand why. And, and we were there, man, and, and we were at this person's house, and, and we finally figured out all the shutters because none of them were really numbered right. So we had to lay them all out and we had to know what size was which and what window went where. And we finally had our plan, right? We had the shutters, we had our ladder, we had our tools, our gloves, our glasses, and we were ready to go. So I'm climbing the ladder and all of a sudden, there was this cute little old lady named Jane. And she was just kind of hobbling down the street with her cane and uh and then I saw her and then she kind of stops in front of the house where we were at and me and this other guy we just kind of look at each other 
I didn't say anything, he didn't say anything, but we were thinking the exact same thing. We don't have time to help this little old lady as cute as she is. Because there are a lot more things to do, there's other people to help. And then she starts kind of coming up the driveway. In fact, look, look, look at this picture right here. Look at Jane. How, how cute is Jane? She's 90 years young. And she comes up and she says, excuse me, gentlemen, I was just wondering. And in that moment, I said, here it comes. Here it comes. She's wondering if we can go and help put up her shutters. She goes, I was just wondering, is there anything that I can help you with? You ever feel really small, really fast? Because that's how I felt. And I looked over at the other gentleman, and I could tell that's how he felt. And, I, and then I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, what are you going to help with? I, said, I was thinking to myself, but she says, you know, I may not be able to put up the shutters that you're putting up, but I can sure spin a wing nut. The wing nuts are just those little things that fasten the shutters in. And I said, glory to God. And she and I, and I and at this point I'm like no no what, what can I help you with you know at this point now my attitude changes like I want to throw her on my back and take her to her house I said do you need help with anything she's like oh no I'm fine I got my food I got my water I got my batteries and my flashlights and my house is all boarded up I just want to check on my neighbors So when I'm at Publix waiting too long, I take out my phone, and I look at Jane. And she reminds me what a bright light really looks like. Because in that moment of chaos, in fear of a potential Category 4, Category 5 storm, and, and all the things that needed to be done, here comes a bright light. And I climb off the ladder. I said, I said, dude, I got to go take a picture with her. She's like my new favorite person. So I get my phone out, and I, sit, and I, and I run down to her, and I'm like, Jane, can I take a, a selfie with you? And the cool thing was she knew what a selfie was. And I said, can I take a selfie with you? She says, I might break your phone, but sure. I said, you're not going to break my phone. So then I'm here, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm getting the camera ready, and I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. The, 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 the lights, the sun's in our eyes. I said, we're going to need to turn around. And she's like, well, that's going to take me a minute. And that, like, she's like taking her time. But man, that's Jane, man. How many of you want to be a Jane? Man. She's a bright light. And that's what an attitude of gratitude does because I asked her, why are you, why are you having, why, why, what's up with the cane? She's like, well, I just had hip surgery. And I'm thinking... You're out here doing this. You, sh- you have every right to be in your house laid up and we should be serving you. But an attitude of gratitude, because she was thankful that God already met all of her needs. She wanted to help others. And the last thing we're going to look at from this story is that uh, gratitude brings freedom. Gratitude brings freedom. First Chronicles 16.8 says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. See, remember that Paul and Silas, man, I don't have to go 
over the condition of their circumstance. And I'm sure that they weren't complaining about how in the world can God bring me to this place? No, no, no. I'm sure that he was making known his deeds among the people. And he was thanking and he was praising. But the truth is, sometimes we go through circumstances. And the reality is, yeah, is it, is it tough to kind of compare everything we go through in life with Paul and Silas? Yeah, we can't really compare. But you know what? We seriously go through situations that hurt. And, um, and it's hard to find that praise. It's hard to push through the pain. I want to introduce you to someone by the name of Dennis Rainey. Dennis Rainey is the co-founder and president of a ministry called Family Life. And they're in Little Rock, Arkansas. And him and his wife, I mean, they just have a tremendous ministry ministering to families. And um, this past year, and even in years past, we went through this curriculum with the men called Stepping Up. Here's a short clip from this curriculum, and he shares about one of the toughest seasons of his life. Would you watch this? There are moments and seasons in life that a man can't possibly prepare for when he's dropped into combat without warning. I faced a season like that, a season when I was dropped into a battle that I hadn't signed up for, when I had to face down fear and embrace a different kind of courage to step up and to lead others through the valley. Our daughter, uh, Rebecca, and um, her husband, Jake, gave birth to their first firstborn child. Her name was Molly. We called her Mighty Molly. It was clear from the beginning that uh, she had serious medical issues. In fact, she only lived uh, seven days. I, uh, I knelt beside her, and uh, I read her a letter that I'd written to her. Mighty Molly, I just met you. I feel cheated. I don't want to say goodbye. I, I know I'll likely see you in a couple of decades or so. In light of eternity, it won't be long, really. Still, I don't want to say goodbye. Your seven days sure brought a lot of joy. To your mom and dad's face. Your parents loved you well. God couldn't have given you a better set of parents. Courageous parents. They have loved you with a sacrificial love that only a very few little girls like you ever get to experience. I love you. Your papa. And just a few months after Molly had died, it was particularly difficult for the family because they were approaching Thanksgiving. And this family has this tradition to, uh, to write down things that had taken place in this past year that God had done. And to be thankful for it. And I don't even know how you can begin a list. 
of thankfulness when something like that hurts so much. Dennis, his wife, Barbara, she, um, so she started this list and, um, and she wrote a dozen things down. She could have kept going. She knew that she didn't exalt the list, but she felt like she had to stop right there. And she sent and she emailed this list to her daughter. And this is what she starts her email off with. I want to encourage you. As difficult as this Thanksgiving season will be for you. To make a list of all those wonderful things that God did lest we forget how he showed up. Because he really did show up in those seven days of Molly's life. The truth is, is when we give thanks in all things, it it doesn't take the pain away. I'm not even going to try to pretend that it does. I'm not going to insult you today. But what it does is it brings a balance to what you're experiencing. I think that sometimes a a thankful heart and and, and when we thank God, you know, it brings perspective. When we're feeling the emotions of, of grief, of loss, and of sadness, what it does is it, it brings a balance to those emotions. See, where, where there's grief, gratitude to God brings joy and just brings joy right next to your grief. See, when, when you come with an attitude of gratitude to God in the, in the midst of your loss, man, what it does is It brings pain next to your loss. When you come to God with an attitude of gratitude with your sadness, what it does is it brings hope for the future right next to your sadness. And I know that there are many people that are going through a difficult journey right now, especially going into a holiday season like Thanksgiving. The journey might be in their marriage. The journey might be in your financial situation. The journey uh, might be in a family relationship where your child is just so far away from the Lord. There are people right now that are just crying every single night to God. Some people are facing a physical diagnosis. There are some families that are facing terminal illness. And there's no magic wand on this side of heaven that's going to make those feelings go away. But there's the word of God. There's the promises of God. You know that Jesus is still alive today? You know that even though he died on a cross, he didn't stay in the cross? You know that even though he was buried in a tomb, he didn't stay in a tomb? Jesus is alive today. And he's right there with you. And he says, I want to be with you. I want to help you with this pain. I want to help bring some joy to your life.
I want to I help bring some hope to your future. You know, in whatever the circumstance that you're walking through looks like today, there's a call to have gratitude. There is a call for thanksgiving. And you know why? Because when we are children of God, and when the world looks at us, when your co-workers are watching you, when your neighbors know the circumstances that you're going through, and through your pain, and through your tears, you lift your eyes to heaven, and you say, God, I still choose to worship you. You're going to make the gospel believable. You're going to make people think, man, how in the world can they go through what they're going? There must be a God somewhere. You're going to make the gospel believable. And you're going to point people to Jesus Christ. And that's the point of our everyday lives. The point of everything we do should be to point those that don't believe to Jesus. And I believe that's what an attitude of gratitude does. Amen.